This morning we are in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, We're working our way through the gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 9 through 13. So go ahead and turn there. In the past weeks, since we finished going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7, we have seen how the people were astonished at the authority of Jesus' teaching, how he healed the leper. I mean, he literally has authority over the leper's uncleanness, even when otherwise this leper was ostracized from friends, from neighbors, and from the presence of God because he couldn't go to the temple where you would meet with God. Jesus has authority over his uncleanness. We saw how he loved an outsider, a centurion, and demonstrated his authority and power by speaking and healing the centurion's servant. We saw how he healed many as they were brought to him, that his power and authority are limitless and not bound by the weaknesses that we carry with us day in and day out. He shows us how his calling is hard and how he is completely worthy of such a calling because he is of greater value than any earthly thing we could ever imagine. We see how this one who cleanses and heals spoke, simply spoke, and a raging sea was instantly calm, and that those who were with him trembled. We saw how Jesus has authority not only over the material world like seas and storms, but over the spiritual world when he cast the legion of demons out of the two men, setting them free from the bondage of sin to worship him. And then last week we saw how Jesus has authority to forgive sins, to say be clean and not simply mean externally clean, but wholly clean, to make you and me pure and able to stand before the holy God of the universe knowing we are safe because of Christ. The wonderful series of texts that we have been going through. But it continues today. Today we see how Jesus calls sinners, the scandalous, the most scandalous to follow him. That he has authority over sin and compassion for any who would come. And so let's read the text together. Go ahead and stand and follow along. Matthew chapter 9 beginning with verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We're desperate for you. Apart from you, we are absolutely hopeless. We have no hope of ever coming into your presence apart from the work that you have done 
and accomplished on the cross and the grace that you continue to display towards us. We praise you and we thank you for it. And we ask you for your help through this text. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. In verse 9, Jesus passes on from there, it says, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he says to him, follow me. Jesus sees this tax collector, Matthew. This is the Matthew that wrote the gospel account that we're working our way through. And so, spoiler alert, this is, has a happy ending here, okay? If this is all you've gotten so far from the text, verse 9, this is going in a good direction. Jesus sees him and calls him. And I hope that what we see in the text here is that with all of his authority, limitless authority, Jesus graciously uses his authority and sovereignly calls sinners. Why Matthew? Why does he choose and call Matthew? Why did Jesus approach and call this man? Mark's account tells us that all the crowd was coming to Jesus, which is followed by him seeing Matthew sitting at a tax booth. So Jesus is mobbed by a massive crowd of people that are all showing interest in him. But he approaches the one man in town who seems to show no interest in him. Now that's not at all to say that Matthew knew nothing about Jesus. If he had not met Jesus to this point, he certainly had heard of Jesus. Everyone in Capernaum had at least heard of Jesus, but still Matthew is sitting. Almost like he's uninterested in Jesus, or at least in his ministry. And so of all of the people, all of those interested in him, all of those surrounding him, all of those following after him to see what he's going to do, why Matthew? He goes to Matthew, the one man who is not going to him. It's a wonderful picture of salvation. Jesus, the Savior of the scandalous. Jesus sees this man and calls him, follow me. And what we can learn from this is so important. Jesus' calling and salvation is based on God's grace, on God's sovereign grace, not on man's alleged goodness. Because Matthew is a tax collector. Tax collectors were despised. You get that idea from the rest of the text, right? How the scribes and the Pharisees respond to Jesus being with Matthew and those who are like him. Why do they respond that way? Why do they call them sinners? In Israel, tax collectors were the lowest of the low and they symbolized the worst of sinners. 
In Luke 18, when the Pharisee stands to pray, you remember what he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The fact that Jesus would save a tax collector and then make him an apostle was completely inconceivable to the religious leaders. See, the nation of Israel was subject to Roman taxation. And how that worked was that Herod would sell franchises to the highest bidder. And those franchises were a lucrative business. So tax collectors had a certain amount of money that they had to take from people for taxes. But whatever they collected beyond that amount was theirs to keep. There were many different taxes which left room for them to ask much more than was required. It left plenty of room for extortion and exploitation, and that's what tax collectors were known for. Not only did they steal from people, but they hired people who would physically intimidate them if they didn't pay. Tax collectors were viewed as traitors to the people, classified as unclean and barred from the synagogue. Again, the synagogue where you could actually go and meet with God. They were banned from there. And so you can imagine Matthew was despised by the Jewish people. And yet Jesus, to their astonishment, calls him, goes to him, calls him to follow. Because calling is not based on any supposed goodness in man. It is based on God's magnificent and sovereign grace. Titus 3, verses 4 and 5, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't come up upon Matthew sitting at the tax booth and think, now there's a really, really good guy who's just kind of made some poor decisions. He's made a bad way for himself. He just needs positive encouragement. He needs a fresh start. No, he looks at a man who is dead in his sin and calls him, follow me. In verses 12 and 13, what does Jesus say? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. When Jesus talks about the sick, or those who are well or righteous, what is he meaning there? When, he's, when he refers to the righteous or those who are supposedly well, he's not meaning that there are some who are righteous or who are clean in and of themselves and don't need him. He's referring to those who falsely think of themselves as righteous, like the Pharisees. 
Luke chapter 16, verse 5, he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows the heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Luke 18, verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So when he's giving this example, he's not talking about those who are who are actually well and actually righteous. It's those who, who deem themselves as that, who think they're okay, who think they're in good standing because they've done enough good things. The truth is what Romans 3, 10 through 12 says. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What does that mean? It means we are all Matthew. We're all sitting there disinterested in Jesus. We're all sick. We're all unhealthy. We're all unrighteous. And unless Jesus looks at us and says to us, Come, follow me, we are forever hopelessly lost. God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Jesus has absolute authority And he uses his authority to sovereignly save the scandalous. Now look at Matthew's response. To the leper, Jesus says, be clean. And he is immediately clean. To the paralytic, he says, rise. And he immediately rises. To the sea, he says, be calm or be still. And it is immediately still. And to Matthew, Jesus says, Follow me, and he immediately follows. Verse 9, Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose, and he rose and followed him. No hesitation. And look how he follows. He rose and followed immediately, but we, we know from Luke's account a little bit more. Luke 5, verse 28. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And leaving everything. This is true discipleship. This is what it looks like and means to respond to the call of Jesus and to follow him. Matthew did not go to the tax booth that day anticipating a call from Jesus. He thought he was going to make a lot more money. That's what he went to do. And in the middle of his day, he's interrupted. And his entire life is radically changed. He left everything. Matthew may have given up more than any other disciple. He gets up, he leaves his lucrative career and follows Jesus never to return. 
That's not to say it's, a, it's not a big deal for the fishermen to go after Jesus. He's leaving his old life completely behind. We know later, in fact, in John's gospel, we know that those who were fishermen actually went back to fishing. Jesus goes and finds them there and calls them to himself on the beach. Matthew can never go back. In Matthew's following, his faith is obvious. When you consider later in his in his account of the gospel in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go therefore, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus doesn't say just know everything. He says observe, obey, do. And what does he call us to do? Mark 8, 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew is a beautiful picture of what that looks like. He gets up and he follows. And what does he do immediately in following Jesus. This is so good. Matthew begins to follow, and he throws a banquet. He throws a party for Jesus and all of his friends. Tax collectors and sinners. Like the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he wants people to know he is glorifying God, following Jesus by demonstrating the same grace Jesus displayed in calling him. He invites the tax collectors, the sinners, and Jesus and his disciples to come to his house. And as Jesus, verse 10, reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The big deal is not that Matthew is at the table. It's that God is at the table here. To break bread with someone had important consequences. To recline at table with someone was a statement of acceptance. This is a clear picture that Jesus is receiving lost sinners. God is sitting down and eating with his enemies. That's what's happening in this house. God is sitting down and eating with his enemies. The Pharisees were known for saying, wash up, get clean, and then you can come. Jesus says, come as you are, and I will make you clean. Now, what is the main point of this passage? It's it's. It's pretty clear because Jesus tells us right after this. Jesus came to call sinners. 
Matthew was a tax collector. And Matthew, in writing this account, wants us to know that the type of person that he was, a tax collector, is the type of person that Jesus approached and called and saved. That's who Jesus identified with. Those he came to save. And so I want to ask you some questions about discipleship as it relates to this text. The first question is this. Do you believe that Jesus is this gracious? 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul writes, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Do you believe that? And if so, have you written off anyone? Maybe including yourself from His magnificent and sovereign grace. There is no one who is beyond His reach or love. He is the Savior of the scandalous. And the second question I would want to ask is, what does it look like for you? What does responding to that kind of grace look like for you? Knowing that you are the sick, you are the unrighteous, you are the Matthew in the story. You don't want to be the Pharisees and you don't want to be the scribes. You're Matthew. We all know what it means to follow, right? We know what following someone means. And the one we follow is the one who hung out with the scandalous. He came to seek and save the lost. His desire, he desired mercy, not sacrifice. He came to call sinners, not the righteous. Are you following that King? That Savior? Now this is certainly complicated. It gets complicated because the Bible doesn't teach us only to associate with the scandalous. It's clear that we are called to encourage one another, to come together as the body of Christ, to join together, to build each other up in love, to teach the gospel to each other, to admonish each other with the truth of the gospel, and on and on and on and on. Jesus spent time pouring into the disciples. But He didn't only do that. And my fear is, as the church, we have become accustomed to gathering, to critique rather than to care. Jesus was not standing in the corner of the room critiquing what the sinners were doing. He was reclining at table with them with joy. With joy. He was joyfully living His life among them and being Him in front of them. 
It was the Pharisees and scribes who criticized him for eating and drinking with sinners. It was Jesus who sat there and loved them. And so what does following him look like? We get such a good example from Matthew. What did he do? He threw a party. He invited his friends so that they could hear about Jesus and meet him. He didn't care what anyone else thought. He just loved those friends and invited them in. Maybe they wanted to know why in the world he left his job, but they got to meet Jesus. Is that what following looks like for us? Jesus came to save sinners. He has all authority over all things, and he uses that authority to save. He's the Savior of the scandalous. And so I want to encourage you today, if you are watching online or you're here today and you don't know him, I want to encourage you from this text. You are not too far separated from the crowd of Jesus' followers to be loved by Jesus. You are not too far separated from the crowd of Jesus' followers to be loved by Jesus. There's a massive crowd that was following Jesus. And maybe Matthew was thinking that he could never fit into that crowd. But Jesus loved him right where he was. And he loves you. He calls, follow me to the most scandalous of sinners. And here's the best news. He made a way for the worst of us to find forgiveness and be made clean by his grace. Matthew could get up and follow because Matthew didn't have to be clean in his own strength. Jesus made him clean. And the same is true for any of us who would follow him. Look to Jesus. He's wonderfully loving and gracious. He is King of kings, and he calls us to follow him. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together, and it's a joy for us to do that. As we do that today, I want to encourage you as we approach the communion table. One of the things I would encourage us to remember is we are the tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus has invited us to the table to break bread with him. And it's with joy. Jesus rejoices in breaking bread with sinners. He calls us to himself and he makes us clean by his blood. This is a feast that we take with Jesus with joy because of his grace, because of who he is, because that he would sit at a table with us. Let's remember and let's rejoice. The ushers are going to come and they'll dismiss you row by row. Just encourage you that whatever row you come down, take the other row as you go back so that we have a line that goes each way and, um, and you'll be dismissed to do that. But let's pray. Father, thank you 
Thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace. You're good, Lord. You're so good. Even reading this text and preaching this text, Lord, it's just impossible to comprehend that you can be this gracious. And yet you are. You're so good to us. Not only that you would call us, but that you would even consider sitting with us, being with us. That you would sit at this table with tax collectors and sinners, those that were outcasts, completely cast aside by those who consider themselves religious. You sat with them. You rejoiced. You had joy with them. You were you in front of them so that they could see how worthy you are, how loving you are, how caring you are. Father, we praise you that you are that gracious to us. We ask you to help us, help us to see you the way that Matthew did that day, as worthy, worthy to leave everything to follow. And we look back on that, Lord. We know what happened after that. We know that you went to Jerusalem. We know that you were arrested. We know that you were bound. We know that you were beaten. We know that you were nailed to a cross, Lord. We know that you suffered. We know that you died. And we know in your suffering that you suffered because you bore the weight of our sin and you were judged for our sin by God, your Father. And you willingly endured that, Lord, for the sake of your enemies, for me and for those of us who would ever call on your name. We praise you and we thank you. We ask you to help us, even in taking this bread and the cup, with great joy to know that you sit at the table with us, all because of the work that you have done. And we praise you in Christ's wonderful and glorious name, Father. Amen.